Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them, please, to Hebrews chapter 11. As we finish off the chapter today, this hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to pick up in verse 32, where we left off last time in a Bible study that I've entitled, By Faith, God is Glorified in Difficult Times. How is God glorified in tough times? By faith. His name goes forth. His power shines brightly. His message is communicated through his church, even in, especially in, difficult times. Now you can jot it down. In Romans chapter 10, verse 16, the Bible says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And so then, faith comes by hearing, and you know the rest, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, but hearing comes by the Word of God. And God is telling us that this book, the book that's in your laps, in your hand, the one that you're reading on your phone or your iPad, the Bible brings about faith. Every time you read it, every time you open it, every time you study it, this book, like no other book, is living and powerful and brings saving faith to those who need it, but also it brings living faith, living faith. You know, you were saved by faith, you're going to be sealed for eternity by faith, and you're also going to live by faith. And so every time you read the Bible, hearing it, receiving it, your faith is built up. You grow and I grow in faith. And God has even reserved a whole chapter for us in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, that we've called the Hall of Faith. And the Hall of Faith is the true story, the true history of men and women that have gone before us that have faced life's difficulties by faith. They made it in, and because they made it in, we're encouraged to be reminded that we're going to make it in. Even though the Hebrews were struggling, those that were, this letter was written to, they were struggling they were wrestling with the reality of life and what it meant to follow God and all the pain and all the suffering and all the difficulties, the abandonment, the, the family that turned on them, the loss of income, the loss of a job, the loss of resources and things, all that they were facing, the letter was written to say, look, Jesus is enough. And the power of God, all the power of God is available to you and to me today by faith. You know, sometimes we think, well, the power of God's available to us if we come to church. No, not necessarily. Or if we pray more. No, not really. If we give more than I have, I'm tapped into the power of God. No, God makes it much simpler than that. The way that you tap into the very resurrection power of God is by faith. And all of us can respond to God by believing Him. The Bible says it's impossible to please God unless you start with believing Him. And believing what he says and trusting him, knowing that he's faithful, even if we're faithless. And so now we come to the end of the chapter, the end of the individual testimonies. We've spent all this time, by my count, at least 21 times 
Up to this point in Hebrews, the topic of faith has been mentioned associated with a person or a group of people. And we've learned about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Rahab. You know, they all lived in deep pain. Of course, this is the hall of faith, but it can also be the hall of challenges. It could be the hall of pain. It could be a hall of fear, anxiety. But the emphasis by God was on their faith. And they all faced pain and struggle and suffering and hardship, but they made it. Notice with me in verse 32, it says, What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these things, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And once again, God ties together the testimonies of faith in the past with our current, with us, with our testimonies of faith. That the men and women of old were just like us. You know, you can read the Bible sometimes and think, oh, I, I, could, I could never be like these people. I could never do what they do. They're, they're, they're people of the Bible. They're saints. Maybe you grew up in a religious tradition where they made stained glass representations and had them up high, and these are the perfect people that are etched in, st in stained glass, so you know that one day, maybe, sort of, kind of, you'll be like them. No, not at all. They're just like us. What distance us, of course, is culture and time, but the stories that they tell, the trials that they endure, they're very much the same thing that you and I endure. Now, some of these we may never endure, but believers throughout all of history around the world have paid the high price of martyrdom because of their faith, because they are loyal to Jesus Christ. And as we come to the end of these testimonies, we're left in awe of some named and many unnamed that trusted God against all the odds. Maybe you're in a place right now where all the odds are against you. You, you don't see any way out. You don't see how God is going to solve it, how God's going to provide, how God's going to come through. You could say it's against all odds. But you can turn to Hebrews 11 and be reminded that you can trust God against all the odds. All the trials, all the mockery, all the pain, by faith. And you know as well as I do. You know as well as I do that there is much pain and suffering 
and difficulty among us, even right now in this room, let alone connected to us online and on the radio. There's a lot of pain in this room, in your life, and in mine. Life is always a struggle for the believer. Things get more difficult for the born-again believer, not less. There's a whole new dynamic of spiritual warfare that's added to your life. A whole new layer of temptation. Like, like when you're born again and your eyes are open to spiritual things, you then begin to find out just how far you were from God. Just how many things need your attention. The temptations of life now become greater as now there's a resistance of the Holy Spirit inside. And life is hard. Not only the temptations and such spiritually, but just life. Life in this fallen world. You see, for the follower of Christ, God's ways are not the world's ways. It's so opposite of the way the world does things. And because we're in the world, there's a constant battle of what to choose. Which way will I go? Because the world can be extremely hostile. Have you noticed? Very hostile to the things of God. And still yet there's a layer of you men and women here today that you love God, you serve Him with all your heart, and you still suffer. And you still experience pain. There's depression among us. There's divorce. There's abandonment. There's chronic illness. Cancer. Some of you have an appointment this week that you were finally able to get with your doctor where they're going to talk to you about the results of your tests. I was reminded again, I'm, don't, not that I need to be reminded, but I was reminded again of so many that are at home right now because of the immuno stuff in your body and you've just been alone all this time. I think of family members that have been kept away in convalescent homes and assisted living, isolated, alone. There's addictions in this room. There are people choosing to respond in such a way that brings more pain into their life. There are those that have lost jobs and income, shrinking bank accounts. There's constant pain. Some of you are constantly slandered. Your family's abandoned. We can go on and on with the reality of life. And each and every situation is to be met by unswerving faith in God. He's the God of the situation that we're able to walk day by day, step by step, abiding in Christ, where we find our strength and perspective and help in time of need. We're all going to face painful, hurting circumstances, church, let alone the type of trial that the entire world's in today. You know, the, the, this is a unique time in human history where the whole world seems to be experiencing the same thing. Now, of course, depending on where you live and who your government officials are, some, in some areas it's harder than others and just oh, government overreach and bad to say, all of that. And, and yet, everyone's experiencing the same thing. Everything is going downhill for everyone around the world, everywhere, in every corner, this fallen world that we live in, we are all sharing. We're believer and unbeliever alike. And for those of us that live with pain, there's a reminder in the Bible of triumphant faith, victory faith. We serve a God who knows our wanderings. Isn't that good? He collects our tears in a bottle. And he draws near in the most loneliness of times because God is real and he's near 
And God has revealed himself as the very character of love. God is love. And we respond by faith. Notice again now in verse 32 of these encouraging true stories. What more? After at the end, Paul finally just says, what more can I say? Do I need to say any more? Are the 21 examples not enough? Well, if, even if I don't need to say any more, I'm going to share a few more. And what does he say? From the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. And we know Gideon, Judges chapter 7. Gideon was a man filled with fear, but by faith he made it. God took an army of 10. He was just a fearful farmer. And the Midianites come upon the nation, and he takes his army of 10,000 reduces it to 300. Why? Because God wanted to show him that it won't be by his resources, it won't be by his plans, it won't be by all his maneuverings that God will give the victory. Gideon, I want you to trust in me. And he did. Not only that, notice of Barak. Again, a man fearful, another fearful man. He was serving, remember, Deborah. And this is recorded for us in Judges chapter 4. And because of his fear, God told him, you know what? You're not going to get credit for the victory. Even though he stayed close to Deborah, God used Deborah to being victory and to kill Sisera. And yet, Barak still makes it in, in his fear. How about Samson, it says here? Samson, man. Samson had such an up and down life. I know many of you have an up and down life. I really believe he loved God, but compromise got him in trouble. And he was just a compromiser. And you know, for those of you that think you're getting away with compromise, let Samson be a warning to you. You won't get away with it. It will come back to you. It will catch up. Compromise is just a fancy word for sin. And it just will catch up to you. Well, well, but man, Ed, I've gone away with it for all this time. No, you, first of all, you haven't gotten away with anything. You haven't gotten away with anything. Compromise is always going to come back. So ask Samson. He died a miserable death, had his eyes plucked out. And yet, yet even with his bad decisions, he's remembered for his faith. That's how gracious God is to us. How about Jephthah? Jephthah, it says here in verse 32, Jephthah, you'll remember in Judges 11, made the most foolish vow. And even though he had a foolish vow, he fought against the Ammonites. And there was a trust in God because even in the foolishness of the vow, it was still a vow to the real God and the faithful God. How about it says in verse 32, David. Now we know David. David was a man filled with flaws, sinful flaws. But what a man of faith. His trust began when he was just a little kid. As he grew up in faith and his faith continued to grow, he's tending his dad's sheep, being faithful, killing lions and bears, taking on Goliath with a slingshot. Many faults and failures. It reminded me, each time we have a baby dedication here, uh, my assistant puts the Bibles on my desk so I can write a note to those kids. And I know most of the kids that are being dedicated can't read yet. But I'm writing it to for the moment, not only the moment that they can read it themselves, but maybe their parents will read it to them on a regular basis. It's a basic note about how much Jesus loves them and how God has given this kiddo his word to build on at a very young age, to stay as close to Jesus as possible. Why? Because parents, we have a responsibility to get the gospel into our kids as young as possible because they're going to grow up. And they're going to grow up either building upon the faith that was put into and deposited into them or not. And David started as a young age. 
even as your kids can start. And it's never too late to start with your kids. How about this? In verse 32, Samuel and the prophets. Samuel was a given, he was dedicated to the Lord at a young age. And it's amazing as he's listed in this, this list of faithful warriors and fighters as he stood strong against idolatry and immorality and against all that would come against the name of God. And he had a school of the prophets training other men to speak forth the word of God on behalf of God in a very hostile time. He made it. Notice in verse 33 now, uh, one of the things I like to do, because I noticed when I was rereading this, I like to circle the verbs. Look what faith will do in your life. All this action. It says, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, the action that God wants to do by faith to bring about victory. Whether the need is for political victory, helping those in need, receiving the promises of God, overcoming natural enemies, standing strong in spiritual warfare, if you need protection when you're being attacked, if you need strength when you're weak, the power to accomplish all these things is from God. And it's accessed, wow, by faith, trusting Him committing your life to him. You know, I was rereading some of the things in David's life recently as Absalom, his son, betrayed him and his friends, Ahithophel, betrayed him and he's surrounded by lies and he's surrounded by betrayal and he's surrounded by the desire to destroy him and take him out. And what did David do? He committed himself into the hands of God. He didn't fight back. He didn't come against them. He didn't manipulate the, system, the situation. He acknowledged it he accepted it, and he committed himself into the hands of God. It's so encouraging to know that God has your back. Notice this in verse 35. Faith brought back the dead to life. It says women. The emphasis was on the women that received their dead raised to life again. Imagine that. We know this happened with Elijah and Elisha. That God used these men to bring back life Remember the widow in Zarephath had her son restored to her? Elisha did the same for the Shunammite woman's son. And here they are, they suffered for a while, great grief and pain, but God was gracious in removing their pain. And he's gracious in removing your pain as well by faith. Not only that, it says in verse 35, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. That testimony is in the Bible with James and Stephen, but it's also in the martyrdom of every generation, where in every generation there have been those that have been brought to the stake or to the fire or to the guillotine or whatever to denounce their faith. Say, you know what? If you just, if you just say that you won't believe in God, all you need to do is say it. If you just denounce Jesus publicly... I'll let you live. And they go, no. I will not denounce my Savior. Take my life. Because they understood. And we're learning to understand. But where they understood what Jesus taught, even before he taught, he says, what? remember what Jesus said? What is it that you could possibly gain? What is it that you would get if you were able to gain the whole world but lose your own soul? What profit would come to your life if you had a little bit more money, if you had a little bigger house, 
if you had a nicer car, if that's what you chased after, and you put Jesus in a secondary role, third, fourth, fifth, and you know, it's like, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to live, and I'm going to go after this world, I'm going to get it. Like the ways of this world are so contrary to God. What would it profit? What's it profiting you now? What's it profiting? You have all that you ever wanted, but your walk with the Lord is almost nothing. Jesus would put it this way, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's not the other way around. You don't go after all the other things. How many times I've heard this, where there's a calling on a man's life, a calling on a woman's life, and we see it, we begin to encourage it, and then they say, oh, no, 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 I don't have time. I don't have time. You know, maybe when I get this project done, maybe when I take care of this, maybe when I hit, the, maybe when the kids grow up, maybe this, maybe that, and before you know it, their whole life was lived on maybes instead of seeking the Lord. And it's always discouraging. You see, because Jesus said, if you seek him first, those things that are on your heart, he'll provide them for you. If you seek him first, the things that you want will be provided. But if you go after the things first, you may or may not get them. Rust and moth might destroy them. People might break in and steal them. And then all that time you wasted not seeking the Lord, not growing your faith and exercising it. I've been reading recently a book on the very, very, very beginnings of Calvary Chapel. Getting through all of everybody's stories and everything that has an opinion on what happened. This is an eyewitness account of how it all went down back when Calvary Chapel was 20 people. It was one of the original members, ended up writing a book a few years ago. I didn't even know it existed, but somebody bought, lent it to me. I've been reading it. And one of the phrases that jumped out off the page as she was describing Pastor Chuck firsthand, Pastor Chuck Smith, is that he would take steps of greater faith and greater surrender. That's how he put his, how he set his life up to follow God. And it was noticeable because she wrote it down and she put it in quotes. That he would take steps demonstratively. It would be obvious that he would have deeper, greater faith and situation. He'd step into situation, situations that would require greater surrender. And I had to look at my own life and go, wow, does that really describe my life? Does it describe your life? As you are making decisions, is it greater surrender or is it greater comfort? Is it greater surrender or is it greater ease? Are you taking steps that are requiring more faith? Or are you taking steps where you still are in control of everything and requires no faith at all? Here I'm reminded that through torture, through trials of mockings, it says, verse 36, through scourgings, remember scourgings is violent whipping that would lead almost always to death. They would be beaten, chains thrown in prison for their faith. It seems in trials people want to get, do everything to get out of them, to deny they exist, to try to take control and assert themselves. Hey, believe me, in my prayer life, I'm not asking for more trials. You know, I don't think that's wise. It's, oh, Lord, just lay it on. Give me one more. I, man, this has been such a long, give me more. It, obviously, there's a desire to get out of trials. That's not necessarily bad. But I also watch people want to manipulate the situation so that they don't have to feel the pain that God has obviously allowed into their lives. Why? So that he might draw out greater surrender and greater faith. Not greater manipulation, 
not greater fleshly response. You know, one of the attributes that James tells us in his letter of wisdom from above is a willingness to yield. So you know and I know when there's that sense of asserting myself and I'm not willing to yield, that my flesh has been pricked. And I may or may not be living in such a way of greater dependence and greater surrender. The whole chapter 11 of Hebrews, greater dependence and greater surrender. God wants to do a work in us so he could do a work through us. And oftentimes the point is pain. The point is pain. Notice it says, they were stoned, verse 37. They were sawn in two. History tells us that Isaiah was the one that was sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. And then this phrase just blows my mind in verse 38. Of whom the world was not worthy. The testimony of these men and women, the world wasn't worthy to see it or experience it, but God gave it still. I started thinking about that. You know, I, many years I worked uh, in the business world. I worked for a mom and pop family company. And I remember God immediately brought to mind when I thought the world's not worthy of a woman I worked with. I worked with her as an unbeliever and then after I was born again. And I remember this woman, uh, I can see her, I can see her. She lived, worked in another building next to us, so she, I didn't literally work with her, but she would come over to our side of the office a lot and I got to know her and talk with her. And, and she was a very quiet believer that had a firm belief, very clearly, even as an unbeliever I could tell, she had a real stern, firm belief in God. And on occasion, she would share the difficulties in her life, like the difficulty in her home and the abuse she suffered at the hand of her husband and how hard it was to raise her child uh, with a husband that didn't believe in God. And she was telling me all this stuff I didn't even know, but she was sharing her testimony because God was going to use her to prick my heart later on to be born again myself. So she wasn't like sharing the gospel with me all the time. She was sharing the gospel through her life, and I didn't even know it. And she would just start telling me. She trusted me. And I'm like, this is great. Now, one of the stories that was very painful was how she endured the sickness of her son. Her son was very, very sick. And I remember like it was the day, like it was yesterday. I remember the day she told me with tears in her eyes that her son had contracted the AIDS virus. And automatically there's that stigma with AIDS, isn't there? Well, he must have been in something wrong. He must have been in sin. He must have been. Nope. He was just 14 years old. He was a hemophiliac. And so he would often have blood transfusions because of if he would hit a, a wall wrong or he would fall, like he'd get very strong, bruised, and he could bleed out at any moment. She was always fearful, always one. And I remember the day she said, but, but I'm praying for him that God would heal him. And, and she was steadfast for her son. And I remember fast forward a couple years when she came to tell me the news that her son had died of AIDS, that God didn't heal him and how her faith was steadfast, and that she just continued going forward moment by moment, day by day. Things didn't get better for her. They got much worse, and I thought, you know what? She's one of those women the world wasn't worthy. It was a blessing. I, I've lost touch with her over the last few years, unfortunately, but it was a blessing she was in my life. I wasn't worthy to have her in my life, to give me the kind of testimony I would need to even share with you today. She doesn't even know she sh she's being mentioned today, but her life's in the hall of faith steadying on. And I'm sure if I got in contact with her again, you know what she'd be doing? Following the Lord. 
loving Jesus with all their heart, facing whatever it is that's in front of her. The world's not worthy. What a testimony. I, I mean, one day I would hope that my testimony would be some, like the world, like I would just have a testimony that points to the Lord. That when my name is mentioned, that my name would remind people, no, he followed the Lord. He taught the word of God. He stayed consistent. Yeah, he was up and down. He, was a, he made a few mistakes or a lot of mistakes along the way. But man, that man, he followed God. He, he taught my kids the word. He didn't quit. I want that to be your testimony. Oh, I don't know that we would ever be, oh, the world was not worthy for us. But we can still have a good testimony. We can still have a testimony that points. Look at verse 39. These all having obtained a good testimony. How? By faith. We don't have to be superstar believers. We don't have to be perfect in every way. Just men and women that believe God and trust Him with our lives. Fully committing ourselves. That that's what we'd be known by. They trust God. They love Him. And their faithful endurance is still encouraging us today. God gave them faith to see God gave faith to see some of his people through the most difficult of times. And they didn't escape them. You know how it is with trials. We cry, we cry out to get out from under them. But many people don't get out from the trials. They don't escape them. They live through them, enduring with them. They last a long time. You know, when we were new believers and we were talking about trials, when we didn't really understand, we would talk about trials, you know, and they were so small. Something would happen in the morning. It'd be, it'd be like a movie. Start in the morning, resolve at night. Go, oh, I went through another trial. Oh, I went through another trial. And I think God does that on purpose. He gives us little things to train us, to allow us to see it. Because as longer you walk with the Lord, the longer you learn that there are times when a trial starts and it never ends. It just never ends. That the prayer of our hearts is, God, I want it to end. I want it to end. And it just doesn't end. It has a beginning, and then the middle seems like forever. And some of us, we won't experience the deliverance of our trial until we're in the presence of the Lord. But what a deliverance that will be. Only the believer can, be, can have the hope of being fully delivered from their trials. If not in this life, definitely in the life to come. But here we are. Trials have started, but they haven't ended, and it's hard. How are you going to make it through? I mean, you could share with me every detail, and I really don't know what decisions do you need to make, but I do know this. You need to trust in God. And the whole world's falling out around you. You need to trust in God. Day by day, abiding in Him. Just as it is sometimes God's will for His people to conquer, some of you, God's going to give you victory now. It's going to be great. You're going to enjoy it. It's going to be awesome. Just like it's God, sometimes God's will for his people to conquer in a struggle, it also is sometimes God's will for people to continue in their suffering. Sometimes it's God's will for you to continue in your suffering. He, he said earlier that you, they were able to find strength in their weakness. Paul was able to find the same thing. That was the word of Jesus, actually. Say, Paul, I'm not going to remove this thorn from you because my strength is made perfect in weakness. God is attracted to weakness. We're not so attracted to weakness, but God is attracted to weakness. He draws near to the brokenhearted, to the contrite, to the humble in heart. God draws near to those that cry out to him. God draws near. You draw near to God, the Bible says he'll draw near to you. We're, we're attracted to strength. We're attracted to power. 
We're attracted to control. We're, we're in a culture that says, I have rights. I have rights. And so we all emphasize our rights. But you know, before you have any rights, you have no rights. Because when you were born again, you were purchased at a price. You agreed, I agreed, that it wouldn't be my way anymore. It wouldn't be my way. I just shared my testimony with a sister last night. It wouldn't be my way. If God let me continue in my way, I wouldn't be here today. I needed a radical change in my life. I needed to be born again. And when I was born again, I was bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He has the rights of my life. I've surrendered myself to him. And so when I feel like I want to assert my rights, I need to step back and say, God, what do you want to do with my life? Because you know what's best for me. You know better than I do. You know better than I do. And I want to stay in that place of humility. It often takes more courage. It often takes more courage to hold on than it does to fight on. It often takes more courage to hold on than to fight on. And where there's a need for more courage, listen, there's always a new need for more faith. You want more courage? You need more faith. You need to trust in the Lord. Sometimes affliction's inescapable. Sometimes it's not. The person of faith, the person with faith, no affliction is escapable that requires denial or compromise. What is easy to escape for the worldly person is not so easily escaped for the believer because compromise can't be part of your tool. It's not in your toolbox anymore. The only way to respond to trials is by faith. By faith. Not taking things in our own hands. All these testimonies, this good testimony, were all developed through pain and hardship. Remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for. They didn't even, they lived on the other side of the cross. They didn't even experience the fullness. Why? Well, God had it in his sovereign plan to connect those before the cross, to connect them with us after the cross so we'd be one. So they didn't even experience the promise and they made it. Here we are with the power of the Spirit, baptism of the Spirit. We have technology. We have a Bible. We have, we have so much today that they didn't have. And yet they made it and we can make it too. Faith is when everything's caving in around you and you won't give up. You won't throw in the towel. Even in the final scenes of in the heavenly scene, you know, in Revelation chapter 6, there's the souls that are under the altar that were martyred during the tribulation. And what are they crying out for? How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long? How long is it going to take? When's it all going to end? And I'm so encouraged by this chapter because it infuses faith in us. And I want to end here as before we go into communion. Would you turn over to Daniel with me, please? Daniel chapter 3. I think of all the examples, this is one of the greater examples that I want to share with you in this last section. For those of you that are Bible students, you know this is the true story of these young Hebrew men that were kidnapped by Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon and brought away from their homeland, away from their religion, away from their parents. They were kidnapped because they were strong, because they were wise and smart, and they were now being brainwashed in Babylonian philosophies and the philosophies of this world. They were being trained to be little Babylonian leaders. And they were willing to submit to the training up to a point. Just like we're in the world, but we're not of the world, so up to a point. And then no more. 
We're not moving any farther. No compromise, but up to a point. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, listen, they not only had a decision to make, but they were witnesses to everyone else. I don't want you to forget this. In the decisions you have to make, as you're making decisions for your own life and your own family, you are a witness to your kids, to your neighbors, to your coworkers. You're either a good witness or you're a bad witness, but you're a witness nonetheless. And how you respond to pain, how you respond to difficulty, how you respond to unfairness has a bearing on those that are close to you and those that are watching your life. Because people were watching these kids when they refused to bow down. Notice with me in verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar comes in rage and fury. He gives the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar, verse 14, spoke saying, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold image which I've set up? Now, if you're ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music. You know, when you hear the music and you fall down and worship the image that I've made, good. But if you don't worship, you'll be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God, little G, who will deliver you from my hands? There's a lot to be unpacked here, but little does Nebuchadnezzar know that these three young men are a witness to him. And God is going to use these three young men and their loyalty to God and their respect to the king. And all, he's going to use all that in their life to prick Nebuchadnezzar's heart. Not yet, because right now he's angry, he's out of control. And he goes, look, I heard you guys won't bow down. If you bow down, it's over. Just bow down. That's all you need to do is bow down. And notice their answer. And this is the emphasis that I want you guys to see. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16, answered and said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. And basically, they're saying, we've already made up our minds. You can bring us back a thousand times, but we don't need to answer you in this. It's already done. And here, they explained to him, if it's the case, if you're going to throw us in the fiery furnace, so that's what you want to do, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Now listen, the fiery furnace in your life, you can say with these young men, my God is able. Your God is able to deliver you. He is able to intervene on your behalf. God is able. The circumstances do not dilute the abilities of God, the power of God, the sovereignty of God, the presence of God, the purpose of God. Your God is able. You need to know that today. Your God is able to deliver you. And even if you're thrown in the fiery furnace, God is still able to deliver you even for all of eternity. You lose nothing by staying loyal to God. Notice verse 18. But, but, if he doesn't deliver us, if not, I just want you to know, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you've set up. Listen, you can throw us in there. God can deliver us. He will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, he's already delivered us. <laughs> he's already. He's already given. We are loyal to God, and we trust him. See, your response in times of crisis, they're going to be read by men and women. They're going to hear. They're going to watch you. And if you, like 
as the church, the light and the salt of this earth, look like the world, sound like the world, freak out like the world, that's not much of a testimony. It doesn't really speak of the faithfulness of God or the power of God, or it doesn't really speak of, you could say this, it's really a faithless response to crisis. When you're trying to control things, you're wanted, it's really a faithless response. The more faithful response is to stand there and say, I will not compromise. And God will do what he's going to do with my life. But you, king, you don't control my life. I've already made up my mind and my decisions before the Lord. And can I just encourage you, church, as you are considering your testimony, you're considering these men and women of faith, and those of you that are very active on social media, would you, would you tell somebody about the power of God in your life? Would you start posting about the fact that you believe a God that delivers would you start sharing with them maybe where you were? I know there's a, lot, how, there's a lot of posts right now, how it started and how it is now. Would you tell somebody how it started in your life and how it is now? Would you get outside of the current political issues and would you get outside of the current conditions of, of government overreach and all the crazy stuff that's just causing us to lose our mind? And would you get back to the gospel church? Would you get back to telling people your God delivers? Would you get back to telling people the hope of heaven? Would you get back to being a bright light in a very dark, confused, scary world? Would you please? Would you let God use you again? Would you let God use you with the message that's eternal? Where else is it going to come from if it doesn't come from you? Who's going to be posting about the love of Jesus if it isn't you? Who's going to be posting about God's work if it isn't you? Who's going to be telling people, you know what? It's hopeless. It's out of control. I agree. I understand. Let me tell you about my God. He's able to deliver you. He's able, because you know there's a lot going on in that layer, but there is so much more going on under the surface prodigal kids, hungry families, divorce, pornography. I mean, there's so much going on that people need to be reminded there's a God who saves. Your testimony's huge. And maybe there'll be a couple extra verses written in chapter 11. We know that's not possible because God's not adding to the word. But let's just say we're writing a chapter on the faithfulness of Calvary. What would the chapter look like? What would it be? What, are we just going to look like the world, sound like the world, act like the world? Or will we be the church? Even Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, before there was ever a church, they were so loyal to God. It's like, it doesn't matter what I lose. We're staying loyal. We're going to stay close. Their confidence was in God. And whatever you decide, Father, we trust in you. You're in control. We've seen your faithfulness in the past, and we'll see it in the fiery furnace. We'll see it in this trial. We'll see it in the next trial until we're face to face, worshiping him. Walking in wisdom, of course, walking cautiously, but exercising faith, because whatever is not of faith, the Bible says, is sin. And we just don't want to go there. The fruit of a life lived with no compromise a life filled with faith is safety, security, faith, focus, confidence, calmness, peace that passes all understanding. It's all yours. You know, you know so don't have to be so full of tension and frustration. And now you're arguing with your spouse, you're arguing with your kids. No, no. Faith smooths it all out. We said, no, as for me and my house, Joshua said, I'm going to serve the Lord. It's just a good place to be, no matter what's swirling around us. So, Father, I ask that you would uh, minister to our hearts as we... Um, as we come to this time of uh, 
communion and worship. And it is like, it's so challenging. Whatever it is, it doesn't really matter if it's a worldwide thing or it's a local thing. It doesn't matter. Whatever trial is trying to destroy our family, trying to destroy our friendships, trying to destroy churches, trying to bring division, as we learned last time. A house divided will not stand, cannot stand. And we just throw ourselves at your mercy, God, and ask for you to forgive us and protect us and help us to fight the good fight of faith that you've laid before us. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.